Let's continue with our lessons and what it is to meet with the King of Kings and, and really connecting your heart and, and, and complete the vacas and closeness to, to your God. And so now let's open up here of Hashem. Hashem and the Jewish people, like a groom and a bride. Let's understand this uh, well. And so we demonstrated already that the most important things in life is emuna. The Gemara teaches, Habakkuk came and placed them, the mitzvot, on a single foundation, as it says. The righteous man lives through his emuna. And we also explained that there are two kinds of emuna. Emuna in the mind, either from tradition or from proofs, and the emunah in the heart. So emunah in the heart, as we explained before, is the inner feeling that Hashem is the absolute reality and that we're joined with Him through our hearts. And we're going to take this further. There's a well-known incident found in the Midrash. A Roman matron asks Rabbi Yossi ben Halafta, how long did it take for Hashem to create the world? Six days, he replied. And what has he been doing since then? She asked. And Rabbi Yossi answered, he arranges matches saying this one's former wife will marry this man and this one's daughter will marry that man. So certainly this can be taken literally because God should not need to spend all day in such a task. Now let's explain the death of this Midrash and we're going to see how this message relates to each and every one of us. So first, let's consider the first match, that of Adam, Adishon, and Chava. And then we'll be able to understand the matches that Hashem has been arranging ever since. So initially, Adam was created alone, without a partner. And during this time, we're told, and Adam named all the animals, the birds, and the wildlife, but he found no helpmate for himself. And Rashi there comments, Hashem first brought them to Adam as pairs of male and female. And Adam said, each of them has a partner, yet I have no partner. So immediately Hashem made a deep trance fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in his place. And Hashem then fashioned the rib which he had removed from Adam into a woman. And so we can see clearly here that originally Chava was part of Adam. And Hashem made a separation, fashioned Chava and brought her to Adam. So from this first match in history, we learn that marriage is not merely a connection of two separate people, but a reunion with the missing half of oneself. So likewise, Hazal have said that an unmarried man is half a person. And we've seen that this is evident from a straightforward reading of the Torah. A wife is part of her husband's being. So based on this, we can understand or we can begin to understand the matches that Hashem arranges all day, every day. It's not merely matches between couples that Hashem arranges. And throughout Hazal, we find the Jewish people referred to as Hashem's bride. For example, we're told that the, at the revelation of Sinai, Hashem went out to greet his people. Israel, as a groom, goes forth to greet his bride. The Jewish people is, so to speak, the spouse of Hashem. And Hashem is constantly drawing us towards Him. Hashem, in fact, has demanded that we bond with Him. It says, and you shall know today and bring it into your heart that Hashem is the supreme being in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is no other. What is meant by, and you shall know 
today. Veyadata. Yediya, knowledge, refers to connection. As it says, an Adam knew yada, hava. And this pasuk requires us to connect to our creator. This is the meaning of Rabbi Yossi ben Halafta's statement. Hashem arranges matches. So if you think about this a little, you'll see that it's truly obvious, yet hardly anyone knows it. Imagine a young man in the prime of his youth, and he has reached the age of 18, an ideal age for marriage. And, and one who's learning Torah may wait a few more years. So now he's ready to find his life's partner. And one day a shachan approaches him and suggests a shidduch. And the man asks, who is she? How old is she? What is she like? No, no, responds the shachan. I have a very special suggestion for you. I have an idea and I think you should marry that idea and build your home with it. So the young man would understand that such a shakhan is mentally ill and speaks senseless words. He might treat the shakhan with dignity because he's created in the image, she's created in the image of God, but he will totally ignore the senseless content of her words. You know, on a deep level, one can bond with an intellectual idea, but that's not what we're speaking about here. So anyone can understand that we may know ideas, but a marriage partner must be much more than a mere idea. She must be a real person. And of course, the husband must mentally notice the good qualities of his spouse. And that is why there is a mitzvah to praise the bride in the presence of the groom. And if there's only praises and the groom doesn't actually get a tangible, a tangible wife, nothing will come from the match. So the young man will have no one to marry. So in our physical life, when it comes to it's not good for man to be alone, we realize that we need a real partner, a human being who can be touched and felt, a personality with whom you could share your life experiences, towards one with whom you can have feelings of pleasantness, closeness, and friendship. We must see this relationship as a reflection of our relationship with our Creator. It's known that all of Shia Shirim is a parable. The corresponding theme is the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. And just as in the parable, it's clear that the information information is is um, alone. It cannot be your life companion. So it is with your relationship with Hashem. You certainly know in your mind that there is a creator. And this is the most basic information needed for life. You even praise Hashem in the daily prayers and you say, the king glorified with praises and my soul shall praise you. All this might only relate to intellectual knowledge of the Creator. The praises alone do not enable you to perceive Him as you would perceive a human partner. But of course, Hashem is concealed and hidden, and He has no body or any corporeal quality. So how then can we relate to Him on a daily basis, like with a marriage partner? So here's where it gets tricky. The Yetzara always tries to deceive people about matters such as these. And he does his job very well, in line with his divinely decreed responsibility. He plants in our minds the notion that the aforementioned example about marrying a person, not an idea, is not at all like its corresponding theme. The physical example that we mentioned previously, you must find a tangible partner, but how can you profess to actually find the Shem? Hashem is hidden from all the living. He has no bodily attributes. So according to this claim, there's no real comparison between the two kinds of relationship. 
And accordingly, we become duped into setting aside the need for a meaningful relationship with Hashem and begin to serve Him with this principle in mind. We can't perceive Hashem. We must only be His servants, pray to Him, thank Him, recognize His existence and providence and so on. And of course, it's true. It's true that we must do these things, these things. But the problem is that the Yetzirah eliminates the essence of our connection to Hashem, the bond between the groom and the creator and the bride, the Jewish people. Without this solid fundamental ground, we're liable to build for ourselves a castle in the air. So even a child should be able to understand this idea. If, of course, a child cannot understand to the same degree than an adult would, but even he appreciates that mere information, as clear as it is, is nothing like attaining the thing itself. So to illustrate more, let's imagine that on the night of Pesach, a boy hides the afikom in the matzah as his customer and asks his father to buy him a bicycle in exchange for the matzah. The father responds, I consent, but since we cannot buy it on the holiday, let's wait until after the holiday and then I'll buy it for you. And then after the holiday, the boy turns to his father, reminds him of the promise and the father, instead of following through with his commitment, merely tells the boy the wait and the appearance of the bike as well as how to ride it. He continues to praise and describe the promised bike. Day after day, week after week, a year later, he is still praising the bike, right? And so his son, though, doesn't give up and demands, Father, you promised, please buy me the bike. No child will be satisfied with stories, information, and praises. He knows full well that a bicycle is a tangible thing for riding and enjoying. So every area of life we encounter, it's clear the one who deals with unreal entities is delusional. And the more one lives with delusions, the harder it is to live with them. And yet, when we come to the most basic element of life, emunah in the Creator, the Yetzirah succeeds in convincing us that this matter differs from everything else. It tells us that although there is a Creator, it's impossible to sense Him. And so Hashem becomes like an unreal entity, chas v'shalom. And so if you start being realistic and realize that Hashem is the true reality, you'll understand that we're not requesting levels beyond the ability of a human. We want you to appreciate that Hashem's existence is much more real and palpable than all else. And of course, the tools for sensing physical things and the tools for sensing Hashem are different. We discussed before, you know, previously at length, physical entities can be seen, heard, smelled, and touched. And Hashem is only felt with the heart and the neshama. You must realize that just as in the material world in which everyone can sense existing entities through the appropriate senses, so too you should be able to sense Hashem through your heart and your soul as much and even more. So we're not living the way Hashem wants us to. We have the good habits of learning Torah, davening, doing mitzvot, and, and, and everything. But we, but do we try to sense the spiritual realm just as we sense the material? Do we try to do it with the same effort that we really, really sense it just as much? So now let's try to clarify this just a little bit more. Hashem promised us in His Holy Torah that there's a reward for fulfilling the mitzvot. Hazal explained that the main reward is not here in this world, rather today to perform them and tomorrow to receive their reward. So the future reward will be in Gan Eden, right? In the days of Mashiach and the world to come. 
So imagine that after a certain individual completes his years on this earth and he leaves this world and comes before the heavenly court and they weigh his merits and sins and with the help of the Shem, they declare him worthy of Gan Eden. So what simcha, what joy. He was waiting for this his entire life. He worked hard for it. He performed many mitzvot and always longed to reach Gan Eden. And Baruch Hashem, thank God, his dream is about to become a reality. Understandably, in this example, the person has not been serving Hashem with the highest possible motives, by the way. So he asked the angels, where is Gan Eden? Where will they take me? And they explained to him, Gan Eden? It's not exactly what you had in mind. When you were in that world, did you feel Gan Eden with your hands? Certainly not, because it can't be felt there. Rather, you believed in it. Well, you should know that Gan Eden you knew about is only a concept, nothing more. The intellectual awareness that there is such a thing as Gan Eden is itself Gan Eden. So if they would say such a thing to a person, this is how he would respond. I have not fully left the world of falsehood. I don't know where I am exactly. But this can certainly not be called the world of truth. And why? Because Azal tells us that there's a dimension called Gan Eden. And it's real. And there's a real place in which the soul delights. And although we can't sense that place now, that's the only, that's only because we lack the spiritual senses for feeling such things. And yet every single person with sound faith believes that Gan Eden is a place whose delights are as perceptible as the delights of this world. We don't know exactly what the delight looks like and what it's born is. But we do know one thing, that when a person leaves this world and is found notorious in his judgment, he enters a real and perceptible place called Gan Eden. And so just as it's clear to us that Gan Eden is a real, and perceptible dimension of reality, and that one who is found notorious will enter it and partake of the delights bestowed there, so too, even more, should the existence of Hashem be clearly perceptible to the soul. The Ram Chal writes that even now, in this world, a person must cleave, must cleave to his creator. And we learn from this that even here, in this world, one can sense Hashem as an absolutely real being. And we've shown that in faith in the Creator is not only intellectual knowledge, but something real and perceptible. Just as the world we live in, and the world in the days of Mashiach, and Gan Eden, can and will be personally experienced, so is closeness to Hashem, to delight in Hashem and bask in the radiance of His presence, an absolute reality. In fact, it's more real than anything else. So contemplate these ideas, my ladies. Note that when you have thought and understood whatever it was you, you've thought and understood until today, and what you understand now, if your Torah, mitzvot, tefillot, and everything have not yet brought you to the state of feeling in your heart that Hashem is real, is a real perceptible entity with whom it is pleasant to live and cleave, these positive deeds were only performed with the mind. Your heart was not properly involved. And so it's important, so important to emphasize that we have not even touched on the issue of how exactly to achieve all of this. We only have clarified one fact, 
yeah the purpose of life which involves the true kind of existence incumbent upon us all so before embarking on this practical work which is going to be in the coming lessons you must take these words and you must take these lessons and you must review them contemplating and fixing them in your mind until they gradually enter your heart and cleave to your inner recesses to generate a deep yearning to truly serve Hashem. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen. Ve Amen.